Hello everyone. For those of you who are just joining, my name is Sarah and I'll be the moderator for today's call. The topic for today is 2008 Internet Marketing Strategy. Are you prepared? And I'd now like to introduce to you Dr. Flint McLaughlin. Okay, Sarah. I'm grateful again for uh, the group that's joined us today. It's hard to believe that 2007 is over. And uh, we're going to get underway with a very uh, dense uh, webinar this morning. John, I'm going to give this to you and have you please uh, get it uh, prepared in proper order. I, I've hesitated to cover the amount of content that I have here for you because while there are uh, only 30-some slides, there's much that can be said with each of these slides. And I'm going to ask your forbearance because we are going to try to give you as much useful information as we possibly can in this short period of time and then use that information or in such a way as uh, to, I guess, help you prepare for 2008. And uh, I, I feel like I'd rather err on the side of too much content right now because 2008 is going to be a challenging year for many reasons, not the least of which is certain challenges in the economy and emerging technology, et cetera, which we'll talk about. So that all adds up to this simple session, uh, 2008, uh, are we prepared? What can we learn from 2007 that's going to help us in 2008? And it's very easy, I think, and it's a danger to work at such a frantic pace against so many deadlines that we don't slow down and learn from what we've already done to the extent that we truly could and allow it to inform us as we move forward in the future. Kierkegaard, I, I don't know if I, I lecture on Kierkegaard. I, I have a background in philosophy. Uh, Kierkegaard said that, that we err sometimes because we don't spend enough time thinking about our mistakes or our failures. It's not just the failures, but it's even the successes from 2007 that should make us better in 2008, and I want to be very intentional about reviewing 2007 and planning 2008 and some of the things that we've learned. So let's do that together, and let's begin with a simple question. What was the most significant research finding in the marketing experiments group uh, in 2007, and how can this help us in 2008? Now, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. We've, we've talked to our readers, and we've also talked to our scientists. There's about 150 people now working in the combined uh, research groups that we uh, have, and, and then there is the core sciences group that is especially involved in more or less bringing the excellence across all of our research. And I'm looking at present, and here we think at Marketing Experiments, every single person should contribute to research. All of us should contribute in, in, in various ways. So we've polled our own group about this, but we've also talked to members of our audience. Here's an interesting finding towards the end of the year that came. Uh, if you were to talk to, to this particular listener who's on many of our conferences, he might give you a different answer than perhaps we would. Uh, we were the recipients of a certain email that explains what happened when in a recent event we analyzed a landing page live. We invited the audience to submit their landing pages, and we began to analyze on the fly with our science group. And many of the people who were able to, to actually, you know, participate and get their page reviewed went back and implemented changes. And that came in from an October 10th clinic, and he probably would have a different answer than I might give as to the most significant research. But in the email that we received, what we discovered was this man was fast implemented across his site, and you can see kind of a summary of this. We've talked about this in other places but uh, a before and after version of his website. And with the changes made as we discussed landing page optimization, he saw a 20% increase in, in visits. Now, obviously, that's not from the landing page. That's from another factor. 14% decrease in orders, but a 125% increase in the average order size and a 93% increase in revenue. Uh, and in terms of earning per visit, a 60% increase. And and so, uh, A, I've, I congratulate uh, Greg, this is Greg Blanchard, for, number one, taking the findings and applying them. And uh, number two, I would suspect that his take on what was most important in the research of 2007 could be different than perhaps 
uh, what our scientists might think. And I, I'd like to look at that for just a moment. We've had other kinds of feedback, and one of the readers has told us that the most important thing they learned was sports testing. It seems to me that all across the net people are waking up to this fact. And we can talk about that in more depth later, but I'd like to tell you what our own group thought was most important. And there's a reason for this. Uh, this is not a, a marking experiments pat your back uh, session. Uh, it's actually a, a way to think about 2007 so we can 2008. And um, when we polled our own group, they felt like the clinical assessment of landing pages was some of our most critical work, and in particular, the data underneath the recommendations, improving conversion by applying continuity and congruence, uh, a particular research study, the sign-up process, and a retail site and a lead generation, and then uh, information we discovered about getting significant improvements even when you can't complete your test. All three of these produced uh, what our team thought were significant, and we want to spend a few minutes reviewing each of these because we think a, a short time looking at those data sets or just summaries from the data sets might help you as you're thinking about 2008. I think the most important thing I'm going to comes after this as we start to look at what should you do for certain in 2008 to take advantage of the various changes that are taking place across the market right now. And I'm going to get very concrete and break down six keys that I would do if I were engineering, if I were planning the marketing for a company. Now, I've been joined today by a number of people from our sciences group. I have also uh, a guest with us. Some of you are familiar with Brian Carroll. He's written a superb book called uh, Lead Generation for the Complex Cell. Uh, I'm now an affiliate. Uh, some of you know that uh, Marketing Experiments is a sister company of Brian's, and we're not selling books on this call, but I'm impressed with this book, and I'm impressed with Brian, and I've invited him to talk or to interact with us today uh, as you know we progress when he sees an insight that he thinks he might want to share with us. I have the Director of Optimization from our group, the Director of Channels Research, Aaron Rosenthal, Jimmy Ellis, and probably another 20 or 30 team members standing by in case we, we need them. But I want to especially welcome Brian. So, Brian, let me say right at the outset, welcome to the phone call. Uh, are you off mute? Can you speak? Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. Brian is uh, one of our, always our most popular speakers at Marketing Sherpa. Uh, some of you know that Sherpa is a sister company also, and I, I thought it was a real treat to have him here as we think about 2007. So, Brian... You know, as we get into those six steps especially, you may have insights for us as we think about marketing coming up. And also even on this on the lead generation part we're going to talk about. So feel free to jump in, okay? Thank you. I will. All right. All right, so let's, took, let's look at two key concepts from the research in 2007 that might have an impact on how you're thinking about 2008. One is continuity and, and uh, the other is congruence. Now, we, we suggest that continuity means ensuring that each step in your conversion funnel supports the, the value proposition. We, we've discovered through a lot of research that one of the primary problems with conversion is not something as simple as changing your headline or fixing the colors or moving your nav, but it's actually site flow disruption. People expect something to happen next, and instead something else happens, and there's a discontinuity, and this discontinuity results in a kind of psychological friction and this friction can lead to anxiety and conversion is, is, is mitigated. This is what we call the continuity factor, and we discovered it through a lot of research. And we, we would suggest for you that as you think about 2008, continuity could be very important. Another area is congruence, and that is ensuring that every element of your page, the design, the copy, the images, the colors, the logo, the price, all of these state or support the value proposition. We have somehow got in our minds the value proposition is a part of our slogan that it's talked about at the top of the page, and then we proceed to, I suppose, sell them. This is a, this is a significant mistake. The reality is your value proposition, which, as you mostly should know now, is the single reason why I should purchase from you rather than any of the other available options, i.e. competitors. You may match them in every other point, but in at least one point, you need to excel them if you're going to be my best solution, if I am your ideal customer. Now, I stress that to say that at Marketing Experiments, 
one of the holistic changes in our thinking based on the 2007 research is that your entire website is a statement of your value proposition and you must consider that everything from the color to the to the eye path is actually a part of stating your value proposition. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Let's look at an example briefly and we'll show you one of the ways that we learn this. Here's one of the sites we've done extensive testing with. You're looking at the controls, the National Alert Registry. And um, it's extremely optimized. So this is not the version we started with. This is a highly optimized version that had a high, uh, very significant conversion and was incredibly successful for the organization. The month, the year after we implemented this design, we saw, I believe, if I'm correct, an 1,156% increase in revenue. So let's suppose you're starting with a page like this. For some of you, this might be a review. You may have seen this in, in a previous clinic, but again, I'm kind of wanting to look at what we saw last year that might help you in the following year, and I can tell you that if you were given the task as a marketer to improve this page, you, you'd have to stop and, and, and ask yourself, well, what can I do differently? Because I can tell you that after we got to this version, we probably tried a dozen different versions, none of which improved the control. Eventually, we got a gain. Here's what we did. We worked in a different way to achieve a higher level of continuity. We changed the banner headline, and we matched it specifically to each paid click headline. Now, we know this. We know paid search that there needs to be a congruence between the headline and the page you land on, but we extended that down into the subheaders of the page and made sure that each step of the path expressed a clear and consistent value proposition. We we took the the concepts of continuity and congruence to the nth degree, and we achieved a 63% increase again on the already optimized page. I actually think the other page looks better, but this page produces better. So let's look at another point that will help us. Here's a site that was doing well also, and we were asked to improve its performance. So what do you do to improve the congruence on this landing page. This is another example of what we learned in this area. Well, we redesigned the entire page. John, take us back to the control. Take another look at the control. Notice the 94% up at the top, the headline. All right, now let's go to the next page. Every element, new headline, the new copy, the new image, the founder's testimonial was made congruent with an intense emotional tone that touches people and invites them to donate. What we did was not only change tone, but we made certain that tone was congruent with the entire uh, design of the site itself and, and especially this page. There's much more that we did, and we've talked about this in depth in some of our earlier briefs. You know, if you if you want to learn more about any of these studies, you can go to the Marketing Experiment site. There's no charge. There's millions of dollars. There's probably $10 million for the research there. It's free. And you can actually go to the briefing where we talked about this, just do a search, and actually see in depth how we made these changes. But go on. John, take us to the next thing. What was the bottom line? The treatment increased conversion by 54%, but there was also a 33% increase in total donations. Now, that's a, collectively a massive impact on that nonprofit organization, and, and we're happy to help them. Let's move on, John. Now, here's another factor. We talked about continuity and congruence, but let's also talk about the importance of a well-articulated value proposition. I've defined a value proposition earlier, uh, but what we've discovered is that after the customer motivation factor from our conversion index – the clarity of a value proposition is the most important factor, and I'd like to say that there's a difference between having a value proposition and communicating it clearly. And most of us don't have a very good one. I'm sorry to say that, but we're thriving on or surviving on pockets of ignorance, and those of us that do don't often communicate it in the most effective way. 
When expectation does not match presentation, potential customers are interrupted, and the inconsistency in the experience diminishes conversion. So here's kind of an example of how we applied that this year and had remarkable findings. In the interest of talking about congruence, you can look at this page and see that the value proposition is undermined by the page design. Now, this is unlike the NAR example we showed you. This is a terrible page to start with. But the reason we chose a terrible page to display in this, at this juncture is because uh, it's, it's particularly germane to the problem we're trying to demonstrate. This is a site that you must trust with your most precious personal financial information. How you talk about your value proposition is not enough. How you live your value proposition in terms of the design of the site and your experience with the company is much more important. Remember this, optimization doesn't take place on a page. It takes place in the mind. It takes place in the mind of the person who you are in dialogue with, and all sales is a dialogue. It's a conversation. Most importantly, people don't buy from websites. People buy from people. So if I want to, say, entrust right now a, a large deposit from my bank or from my company with someone who walks up to me, knocks on my door, interrupts me, and tells me that he represents a bank, he's dressed shabbily, I don't know too much about his bank, haven't heard of him before, and he insists that... Uh, you know, with lots of hype that I can trust him, I'm going to take one look, and that's the operative word in this statement. I'm going to take one look at him and probably call for security. And that's about what happens with a lot of our web pages. The value proposition says one thing. The website says another. And we are incongruent. Here's what we did. Go back up on this other one. There, there's a disruption here. The page fails to communicate it. Let's move on. We'll come back to it in a moment. Look at the next set of slides. Same problem, much more subtle. Look at the differential on the left side. This is what was wrong. On the next page, and if you look at the graphic, you'll see how every aspect, it's, it's, it, the page is a little harder to discern because we've had to protect the name of the company. And we have submitted this for their approval. They've allowed us to show you these pages. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is uh, you can't tell how effective that graphic is, but by making every aspect, the bullet points, the two key headers that make it especially clear, the emphasis on free and the trial, the way we talk about get instant access now, the consolidation of multiple pages, the way the guarantee is represented right there at the point in the customer's mind where it says risk-free in the gold, right at the point in the customer's mind where they're most concerned. All of these factors add up to a significant return. Let's go there. The control, as you can see, was at 0.41%, optimized at 0.83%. The differential, the increase, was 103%. Now, that's 103% more revenue off the same marketing budget. I want to stop there for just a moment and just tell you when I get to talk to you about these kits, I guess six keys for 2008, one of the things you want to do is make certain, particularly in 2008, that you're getting the most value for your current marketing budget. Some of us are optimizing the wrong things in the wrong order. We'll talk about that in a moment. John, let's move on. Let's look at another area considered significant by our analysts. What we learned here is was rather remarkable, but at first it doesn't appear that way. In one case, we saw a retail site that we discovered was, uh, it was a subscription site, but we, we analyzed the traffic flow after we optimized their process and realized that most of their revenue was coming from people who called in first to inquire. And we realized that while they had asked us to optimize the subscription process, what they really had was a two-tiered problem, a poor subscription process and an even poor lead generation process because they didn't even know they had a lead generation process, but they should have known it. They should have known it because when we really re-optimized, we saw uh, dramatic increases in revenue associated with the fact that they began to treat what they thought was a subscription process as a, as a lead nurturing and then a lead generation process. 
I'll say more about that in a second, but I want to show you a, a kind of a dial system that may help you. And if you are on the, other phone, the phone now and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm a, I'm a retailer or I'm a service business and or, you know, I have a subscription and there's no demand generation or lead generation of what I do, stand by because one of the great breakthroughs for us in 2008 was understanding that in many ways all of us, whether we're in retail or whether we're a subscription business, in some form or another, are involved in demand generation, and we just don't recognize it, and we're leaving a lot of money on the table. It's like the retailer who says, I'm not a publisher, so he has a very poor quality easing sign-up or email sign-up on his retail site and loses the significant revenue that he could be making from his email. I spoke not long ago to one of the largest retailers on the Internet, and they shared with me that the absolute most productive channel for them in terms of revenue still is their email list. It's one of the reasons they're one of the largest retailers on the Internet. A lot of us are having trouble with email and with delivery, but we don't, we don't recognize that even if you are a retailer, there's a convergence between retail and publishing, and there's a convergence between demand, or demand generation and between publishing and between retail. And when I say publishing, I'm thinking subscription. So let's move to the next slide. I'd like to ask you for some feedback in just a moment. As I warned you, uh, the conversation is dense. Do I need to slow down for you? Uh, would you would you write me quickly at using the Q&A feature and let me know if this pace is too fast? I want to show you something we learned now about lead generation and lead capture, but I'm watching your comments, and uh, it seems like everyone says the pace is right. So we'll keep going at this particular density. The, the problem with the site we're going to show you next is that they needed to capture as many leads as possible, and we had to solve an issue related to the fact that they were so far behind their targeted objectives for the year that the, the, the entire operation was in jeopardy. And so here's what we did. You can see this short version with email capture only on the left. I know it's not particularly clear, but the text doesn't matter at this point. You'll notice the one on the right has a short version with personal info form. And there's, there's, there are these two versions, and there were, then we tested two more variants. But let's look at the results on these two versions. What we saw was a differential between the short copy email capture and the long copy with the personal info form of 326%. The treatment requiring the least personal information, fewest fields and shortest copy was 326% better. Now, let me stop you for a moment because everybody on this line already knows that, I mean, we didn't used to know this. I've watched the, the IQ, the marketing quotient, I would say, of the Internet go up in the last 12 months. In fact, the last 24 months, it's remarkable the, the, the amount of learning I've seen across the marketing community. I think now we realize that if we reduce some of these elements, we're going to increase conversion. We call it friction in the marketing experiments conversion index, reducing friction. Every field form, the number of fields, for instance, and also the nature of the field adds to the level of friction in a process. And you can't eliminate friction, so you minimize it, and then you counterbalance it with incentive, which we do poorly. I would say 85% of the sites I look at right now are still not using incentives correctly. The bottom line here is it's not revolutionary. Why are, we, why are we saying to you, well, we discovered that, you know, less forms are better than more or less personal information is better than more. I mean, it doesn't seem quite all that remarkable. But I think what's remarkable is the 326% differential, number one. And number two, I think it's remarkable that, this led to a new kind of finding, and I want to share that with you right now. And anyone here who at any point in the future may begin to develop demand or lead generation, please listen to this next statement or two because it could help you so much. Time and time again, the largest demand generation sites on the Internet come to us and say, help us please, because, you know, they're all about the numbers, and they need to increase the numbers, and they've tried everything. And many times we're the last resort in, for a group. They, they come to us and say, could we become a research partner uh, or could your scientists do experiments with us or something that will help us move the needle because we've moved it as far as we can. Over and over again, what I discover is that they're trying to generate quality leads. I always, I always define the objective. We call it Q1, and it's 
it begins with something like to generate leads. But when I asked them, is it leads or is it quality leads? Well, it's quality leads. So then I realized, all right, so how are you doing that? And they show me their process. And what I have discovered is that they've confused two different objectives. On the first point, they're trying to generate a volume, a lot, a, a, an amount of leads. On the second, they're trying to improve the quality of leads, and they're trying to do it with the same page and often the same test. Well, I'm sure Brian can tell you the more leads you generate, typically the lower the quality. And what they do is they set themselves up for lots of conflicting test results, and they have the hardest time moving the control. And the mistakes that they're making, and this is the breakthrough, this is what we discovered, this is what's different. The mistakes that they're making is this. You've got to separate those objectives. You've got to break your demand generation into two parts. You've got to use the first part to generate the highest number of leads possible, and you use the second part to qualify them. So we break all demand generation forms into two components. And the beautiful thing is if you do it right, it's like two dials on a screen. You can dial out the number by reducing complexity on the first page, or you can dial up the quality by increasing quality or increasing the number of fields and information you ask for in the second page. And by separating two conflating objectives, what we were able to do with many sites that were at the limit of what they could do in demand generation was dramatically improve not only the quality of leads, but even the quality. I want to stop there because I don't think my good friend Brian has had a chance to weigh in, and I'm talking about an area where he's one of the world's leading experts. Brian, any thoughts about what we were saying on anything thus far in this, this presentation? I agree 100% with what you've talked about. I, I really uh, like the analogy of the dials, and I, I think a lot of ways if you think of the microconversions that you're looking to take people through as you capture and and think of it as a way you're you're starting an initial conversation with someone. It's uh, uh, we typically aren't going to ask someone to get married on the first date. Uh, we're we're going to look at how can we build and, and start a conversation, and in a lot of ways move them further along in that conversation. And that's what your research is showing is that by uh, beginning conversations with more people and getting their permission and then providing valuable, uh, valuable content through subsequent interactions, that you're able to move more people from that initial interest where they're only willing at that point in time to give their, their email address. Most people are. But the, the challenge I find uh, a lot of people in, in, in the demand generation uh, websites are uh, do this all the time is uh, we ask for too much up front and we aren't creating enough value. They don't know until they've had a number of interactions. And so you want to be multi-touch with the interactions, realizing that um, you never know how many touches it will take a certain person to go there. But think with your email list that you're building, how can you add value with each touch you have uh, to take them through that path? And then do as much as you can to understand the buying processes of the customers that you've sold so you can understand understand the types of content and information yeah. that you can share with them. Absolutely. Well well said, uh, Brian. And and there's a lot of research on this area we're going to be doing in 2008. I want to I, I look at research related to this and others, and then I'm going to get right to those six key steps. So bear with me for about five minutes, and I'm going to spend the balance of our time trying to help you figure out some key things for 2008. So with uh, with what was just said here, Let's look at where we're going to go in 2008. Uh, Marketing Experiment itself is going to focus every journal issue and all briefings on optimization. The, uh, some people are calling 2008 the year of optimization. I just know it has to be done because we are wasting so much in our marketing dollars right now. It's, it's, it's tragic. Every time I look, I mean, you know, you can spend 100,000 people, uh, you can spend a lot of money and drive 100,000 people to a page, and if you're converting uh, 1%, you get 1,000 customers. But if you can convert at 2% and spend the same amount of money, you suddenly get twice as many customers off the same spend. We are not maximizing our, our, our marketing dollar because we're not doing this right. So we're going to try to help you. A, we're going to be doing a lot more research on landing pages, optimizing them, subscription paths, lead generation or processes, e-commerce sites that includes products and category pages, email, particularly the copy itself, the way you are approaching and, and, and engaging uh, the people, order processes, uh, 
I think the holy grail is this next one, advertising. It's unbelievable to me how poorly ads are optimized to actually produce results. And then social media. We're doing a lot of social media. In fact, I just walked out of a social media uh, research project meeting into this lecture. I uh, took my notes and stood to the platform to start because I see some tremendous opportunities in social media. Now, that's where we're going for 2008. And the only reason that's worth sharing with you is that's what you should expect from us. If you're uh, attending these events and subscribing from us, expect to get a lot more research. We're going to spend millions of dollars trying to figure out how to do these things more effectively. Now, let's talk about the six most important steps that you need to take in your marketing plan. And um, in a little bit of time, I'm going to open up and let you begin to ask questions. So you, you may want to send some of your questions to us now, uh, but let's look at the first step. And as we go there, as we go there, may I make this caveat. If I were to leave my role here as uh, a director in, in this research laboratory and actually assume the role as a, as a director of marketing, and I've done this in the past, what would I do differently in 2008? I mean, it's true there is a specific answer that is specific to each situation for each company and each marketing person. But, you know, I do think on an intuitive level there's five or six things we better get right. And last year we released a blueprint step-by-step -step through, and, and you can find that on the website. And there's the compendium, the book that we've written with a blueprint showing step-by-step -step what to do in your marketing along with all the data that supports it. But I would rather move now to this kind of intuitive sense of what I think is going to matter the most for most of us in 2008. So uh, let's look at the first step. It'll seem patently obvious at first, but bear with me for just a moment because it's not quite as obvious. I cannot believe that with all of the metrics programs available out there and the big companies who are doing a good job, how poor the site metrics are across the Internet. Every time I talk to companies, it doesn't matter whether it's the, the the $1 million a year company or it's, it's the $100 million plus a year company, their site metrics are horrible. Please, marketing director, please realize something. You are not going to be able to produce what you need to produce if you don't figure out what in the world is wrong with your existing site metrics and get it corrected. Cobble together a solution. Invest the money. It doesn't, it's not really a technology spin. It, it's, it's a marketing spin. Get the metrics right, and you're going to be so much better at your marketing. Some of you were in our last big clinic where we tested marketers' intuition. Uh, it was shocking. I presented marketer after marketer with an either-or sample and said, which one will produce the best? And marketers voted, and we did a live poll, and hundreds of marketers were involved. And what did we discover? In every single instance, the majority of marketers chose the wrong comp, the wrong collateral, the wrong version. In no instance did all the marketers on the phone actually or any or even get a majority of marketers select the best performing comp. You can't rely on your intuition. You've got to get metrics, which leads me to the, to the next thing. You've got to improve your capacity to test. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, in fact, I'll even say I know the companies that are doing multivariable testing. There's some good companies. I'm not against that. But improving your, your capacity test isn't really about running multivariable tests. That takes a tremendous amount of traffic, and it requires several other solutions before you can rely specifically on the data. Now, again, don't get me wrong because I'm, I'm actually running a certification class in multivariable testing, and Marketing Experiments is teaching and certifying leaders in how to do it. But, I mean, this the capacity to run a professional test that's valid with real data you can count on. You've got to improve your capacity to test in 2008. I haven't got to the good stuff on my list in terms of what might be sexy or appealing, but if I was in charge of a marketing group right now, one of the things I would do was make it, make it a, a high priority to improve my capacity to test. Whenever we look at a company or take over a company, one of the things that we look after right away is what we call the prime movers. 
when we're taking over the marketing efforts or designing uh, a series of tests, what are the main pieces that are going to move everything? If I can get these three to five actions right, everything else is going to be okay. I would suggest that one of those in marketing for 2008 is just improving your capacity to test. Let's go look at another one. I think we need to reorder our marketing priorities. Look at the formula up at the top of the page. You can see it. Optimize the product. Optimize the presentation. Optimize the channels. Now, if you think about that, uh, OPR, OPRN, OCNN, what it's really saying is that optimizing the product has a greater magnitude on your, on your ROI than optimizing the presentation, which has a greater magnitude than optimizing the channel. The presentation is everything you use to talk about the product. That's your website, your collateral, your email, all of that. Your channels are all the ways you get people to the presentation, paid search, natural search, affiliate programs, etc. What I have found us doing over and over then is we're, we're, we're working at the wrong end of the funnel. We're all concerned about the channels when we should be concerned about the presentation. And we should be optimizing these key pages so that our marketing spend is getting its most yield. But even worse, and marketers, you don't always control this. You have my great empathy. I know it's tough. But some of you on this phone are running medium-sized companies or you have control of your products. We're trying to fix product problems with marketing. That's a big mistake. First, focus on optimizing the product. Get the price right. Get the value. Get the seesaw that reflects your value proposition right. Then move to presentation. And then move to channels. And that's where you're going to get the highest possible yield. Um, all right, so I'm going to stop. There's more coming. Uh, someone's asking, will we receive a copy of this deck at the end of the webinar? Yes, you will. Uh, we actually won't send it out as a deck at the end of the webinar, but it's a journal issue, and there will be a briefing, and we'll release all of this with you, and you'll be able to read it, review it, and go over it. Uh, someone asked, what shopping cart do you recommend? I can't answer that yet because uh, my latest string of tests are older. Ask us that later in the year as we're, as we're optimizing shopping and e-commerce sites. Uh, someone else asked, if 2008 is the year of optimization, this is Patrick, is that because there's no innovative breakthroughs for growing the web sales channel? It's all refinement of existing techniques? Is that what you're saying? No. First of all, I'm not the one that said that, uh, but I would say from a rational standpoint, trained as a philosopher, you should get your presentation. That is optimized before your channel, so it's just, it's just rational because you'll, if you flow it out on a spreadsheet, you'll make more money if you do it that way. But I would also suggest that what happened was the web was so messy, and finally we got it halfway decent, at least from the e-commerce standpoint. I mean, it's, it's still a mess, guys. People will laugh at what we have now, 10 years from now. But we, we, we're off racing around now with a new media, and we should be exploring it. And I'm going to recommend some things about new media before we're done. But the reality is the plain old text and graphics and images on our websites could be improved and it's so easy to capture that low-hanging fruit. And it's been my experience that all over the net, people are waking up and saying, what am I doing out here trying to get more money with Google's paid search when I can actually make a lot more just getting my landing page to work better? So I, I think that's part of what's going on. Um, all right. I'm going to go to the next point, and I see more questions coming in on site traffic. We'll get to some of these as we continue. May I suggest that all of you think about this? I don't think anybody is – I don't think we're doing enough competitive analysis on the Internet. Never in the history of the world has it been easier to see what your competitor is doing. What I've discovered is that an advantage in paid search is lost so fast because everyone around you is, is, is able to see exactly what you're doing in terms of driving traffic. Problem is we're so busy rushing around implementing campaigns that we don't stop long enough to, to truly understand the context that we're operating within. And every time I get involved in an optimization project, I do something that always surprises the group I'm working with. I, I wade in and look at a thorough, a detailed competitive analysis, and it always yields significant gains, shortcuts the optimization process, and gives me ideas. I don't just mean ideas because I want to copy what they're doing. It gives me ideas to do what they're not doing to innovate areas they're leaving completely wide open. 
if I was you, headed into 2008, I'd ask myself a hard question. Have I really done a thorough competitive analysis? If you haven't, it's easier to do this now because everything you need to know is online. I'm not talking about a business competitive analysis. I'm talking about a marketing competitive analysis. I'm talking about a presentation competitive analysis and perhaps some of the product, depending on the nature of your business. Someone asked, do you recommend tools? Yes, I do. Um, and one of those is uh, it's, it's two years old, but it's on our site, and, and, and it's still just as valuable. We teach you how to conduct a competitive analysis. It's on the website. It's free. Go there and, you know, type in competitive analysis in the search film or go to, our, go, to our, go to our index and pull it up and study it. There's two more that talk about it in search of a value proposition and optimizing site design. All three of those talk about it. I would suggest you do a thorough competitive analysis. Uh, and I think you can learn from those uh, 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 you know, existing journal issues. Uh, I'm going to move to this other one in just a minute. I'm coming up number six. Number six is the most important, and I'm going to need Brian's help when I talk about it. But uh, I want to stop for a second. And, Brian, do you have any thoughts you'd like to add to what we've said thus far? I don't. Uh, I really am finding value in what you're saying, and I'm looking forward as we look into 2008 with the other research questions that you've brought up. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's go to two, let's go to another thing. You're going to have to start doing it. Now, I find this next point annoying, but I had to put it in here because it's right. You'll you'll notice on the screen. My own researchers are saying these are things that are important that are happening right now. You know, blogs are important. Mobile marketing is important. Google opening up testing with their website optimizer. It's important. It may not be perfect, but it's changing things. The trend away from PPC uh, is important. Testing has become really important. I don't know my my writer put in his practice by marketing experiment, but just testing. Uh, marketers are becoming smarter, so competitive advantage is harder. Well, that's true. Social media, I'm going there in just a second. Changes in the paid search engines, industry consolidation, that's huge. People are getting tired of the email in a way that they've not been tired before, and I'm telling you right now, uh, in fact, you know, I'm going to be speaking at the Marketing Sherpa Email Summit, and, and we're, they're our sister company, and that's in Miami in two, I don't know, less than two months, and I recommend it. In fact, you need it now more than you ever needed it. Uh, but I'm not going to be as optimistic as I heard people at the last summit. I was there. I keynoted the summit in the, mor in the morning, and then I took off my name tag and hid and just listened to all the conversations. And uh, I'm not, I think email is vital still. I think it's 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 a huge opportunity. I also think it's in trouble. We better wake up because a lot of us don't have postal addresses, and we have no way to get to these customers. And I, you could be adding 500 new names a week and be losing 500 that fast. It didn't used to be this way, guys. Deliverability is serious, and you better think about it in 2008 because a lot of you on this phone call derive a lot of your income from email. On the other hand, I wouldn't dare counted out as a serious marketing opportunity because I know in, in, internally here it is one of the most remarkable channels that we have. It's, it's shocking how productive email is for us, but I'm concerned. So in light of that, may I suggest that we admit the fact that it's time to get serious about some of this new media? Now, you're on the phone and you're 25 years old. You're probably already serious, but I'm old. Uh, compared to you, and I, I, I was on the internet when it was in Unix, and I, uh, you know what, a web page, I'll, I'll tell you what, a BBS, a bulletin board was trendy when I was in, in this business. I, when I remember the first browser came out, it was Netscape, I couldn't believe it, and then along came Explorer and so on. I, I was on the internet in Unix when it was, you know, gopher strings, and, and I lived in the midst of this trendy, amazing happening new marketing opportunity. We projected it would be. We even studied video. I produced television programming, believing that there was a time coming when content could be distributed to the masses in a remarkable way. But now it's happened. And, you know, I, I, I'm looking and realizing that if we're not careful, we're going to miss out. My testing right now and our testing and some of our colleagues' testing uh, in in new media is showing massive viral opportunity if you get it right. But it's hard to get right. Most of us don't understand it. And 
we're going to lose out the opportunity to participate in a community-style version of marketing if we don't wake up to the emerging media. Not not just social media like, you know, YouTube and these places, but but even what's happening as there's a convergence between cell technology, the net, and the growing sense of a world community. Uh, I would suggest you need to test new media in 2006, and I, I would make it a higher priority than it might be. Which brings me to... And by the way, here's more, social networks, mobile landing pages. You can see the research. Here's a survey. Uh, Gen Xers, 85% of them said they're influenced by another person's recommendation. There, there's a lot of things happening in this area that I sent out to you in the brief. I want to suggest something now that's most important. I want to suggest something now that will make some of you might offend some of the people on the phone, and I apologize for that in advance. I'd suggest that if you've got a meeting coming in in a few minutes, I think we're going to stay on schedule. I would still uh, stay on to this right to the last part because I believe what we're going to talk about next is of, of, of supreme importance if you're going to be relevant and effective in the next 24 months. I think you need to stop and rethink the way you're communicating. I think as marketers we've been trained uh, in a way that's going to be harmful to getting future results of the postmodern consumer. Uh, I wrote a piece about this, predicting this several years ago. It's called Transparent Marketing, and it, 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 it kind of got a, had its own viral impact, and it was t translated into many languages. I've seen it in Chinese. Uh, but it talked about a transparent way to talk. And uh, I've written something here that's in two parts, kind of a protest. And I'd, I'd like you to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's being barraged with our marketing messages. And listen to me as I talk about this protest. And then from there, I'd like to talk about what do we do about it. So for the, for the moment, let's think first person. Let's think as, as one of the victims, you might say, of, of our marketing activities. Um, the prospect says this, I'm not a target, I'm a person, and don't market to me, communicate with me. Don't wear out my name, Article 2, and don't call me friend until we know each other. I'm not your friend. If you walked up to me on the street, I'd be very suspicious of you, and I'm suspicious when you walk up to me on the Internet, by the way. When you say sell, I hear hype. You may not mean that, but that's what I hear. Clarity trumps persuasion. So don't sell, say. And realize I, I don't buy from companies. I buy from people. And... And here's the clue. I, I dislike companies for the same reason I dislike people. And I like them for the same reasons. Stop bragging. It's disgusting, and I don't believe you. You tell me you're the best. What does that mean? You tell me you're the fastest. Everybody says that. You tell me you have great customer service. Well, of course, you, you better, because I'm not going to buy from you if you don't. But that doesn't give you any competitive advantage. You've got to start with that before I'm even interested in your offer. Besides, I've bought from five other companies that told me the same thing. And you know what? They burned me. People, we, we can't, if, 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 if you hear this sense of frustration in my voice and you think, you know what, this is the way marketing is and, and we know it works uh, because we've done it for a long time, let me give you something to think about. If you think the way you're talking today is going to work when you talk tomorrow, you go back and read the advertising from 100 years ago, because I have. I've done a study of it. And the advertising from 100 years ago was so ridiculous that if anybody sent you a message in that tone, you'd laugh at them. You would never buy from them. You're going to find the same thing is going to happen, because this next generation does not trust us. And we, we, we think good copy is copy that sounds like somebody else's copy that we respect who writes or has a big brand. It's not. It's not. Which brings me to another key piece. In all cases where the quality of the information is debatable, I will always resort to the quality of the source. My trust is not for sale. You've got to earn it. I need a conversation with you. I need... Time to develop trust. If you want to sell me something expensive, yes, I'll take a risk for some things. Depends on what you're asking me for. But right now, I don't even trust you with my email address. Emily Dixon, 
uh, said, dazzle me gradually. I thought a lot about that when I first read it. And, I, and, and in, in the marketing context, what I, what I think it means to me is this. Don't try to blow me away all at once with how wonderful you are. In fact, if you tell me what you can't do, I might believe you when you tell me what you can do. A, a little bit of self-revelation and honesty would go a long way towards building trust with me. I think our copy's arrogant. I think our motives seem selfish. I think our claims sound inflated. And I think if you want to change how people buy, we're going to have to change how we market. Uh, I've written this protest, and we'll send it out to you if you want it. I'm going to post it on my website. I've had my own executive say, you shouldn't put that on your website. I mean, it's just, you know, you're going to make people mad. But you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of this this business as usual. It doesn't work, and it's not going to work. And I'm glad it's not going to work because I'm sick of getting it myself. Which brings me to three articles, three things, three things I believe. Three things that I think you ought to think about when you think about how you're going to talk to your to your market. One, I wrote this from our company standpoint. We all kind of got excited about it, marketing experiments, because we're not we're not interested in just uh, we actually want to. I would like to change the way marketers think and actually change the way we communicate with prospects or customers and see that yield for us better results and allow us to sleep better at night, too, because there's real value. So here's what we wrote. It sounds maybe, I don't know, maybe it sounds um, pretentious, but but I believe it. We believe that people buy from people, that people don't buy from companies, from stores, or from websites. People buy from people, and marketing is not about programs. It is about relationships. We believe that brand is just reputation, marketing is just conversation, and buying is an act of trust. And that trust is earned with two elements, integrity and effectiveness. I don't even want to hire you if you don't have both of those, right? If if you're a nice person but you can't get things done, I still can't trust you because I I can't give you my money. I don't know if you're going to be able to handle it. And on the other hand, if you have lots of effectiveness but no integrity, I'm scared to death of you because you're the guy that's probably going to trick me. If you're going to have integrity and effectiveness, you're going to have to put the interest of the customer first. And this leads me to the last thing, and I appreciate you tolerating me now, but this last piece, Article 3, is kind of the heart of uh, what I want to do here with marketing experiments. We believe that testing trumps speculation, that clarity trumps persuasion, and that marketers, it's kind of a thing about honesty. Marketers need to base their decisions on honest data. That means you need to get all those things right we've talked about so far, especially testing and metrics. And customers need to base their decisions on honest claims. And it's, it's our job to get both of those things right, honest data and honest claims. And I believe if we do, we're going to get greater results. This is not just about, you know, I think it's right, so we should do it because it's right. But even... Even so, I think it's going to produce a higher yield. And I can tell you in test after test after test, we ran a test recently with two emails reflecting both kinds of tones. And the email that reflected the tone I'm talking about in Article 3 far outperformed the other email. And that's going to increase only increase with time. Uh, let me hear your thoughts on this, and then I'm going to ask Brian Carroll to, to speak. So if, please weigh in. Some of you are writing as I speak. There's a lot of you that are writing some interesting information. Does this make sense to you? I wish I was in a room with all of you. I mean, there's hundreds on the phone right now. I, I, but I wish I was in a, a room with all of you and we could talk about this together. But do, do you understand where we're going? Does, down inside, can you do you, does it resonate? Wow. Interesting things. Lots of interesting comments coming in. I, I may have to share some of these. <laughs> Good. It's very encouraging to hear from you because I, I know i got to do it even if everybody disagrees because at least I've got to do it because I can't do the other stuff. But hearing you say the same thing, wow. 
Brian, you weigh in. Uh, tell us what you're thinking, why these comments are coming in. I think it comes down to um, the, the people here on the line are, are passionate uh, about marketing, and, and I didn't get into marketing and uh, because I wanted to not believe in what it is I'm doing. Um, I've, I got into it because it's about communication and making a difference, and I think it comes down to the things you talked about really comes down to our heart, why we do things. and. The the reality is is that um, I I think that the everything you talk about and everything you shared today really comes down to if our heart in all we do with our communication and this needs to be within our companies and then first and then we can carry that out to our customers if our heart is to make difference in the lives of other people, our customers, and we're really seeking to understand them, we're really seeking to make a difference from them, Article 1, 2, or 3, as you shared, is going to happen. And um, what what I'm passionate about, and that's what brought us together, is, is changing the way we think because it ultimately does cause our strategies and the tactics we employ as a result of those strategies uh, to come into being. And as you said, the the way that we thought worked uh, in the traditional mindset, the prevailing mindset, is not about building trust. And um, it's we're in an instant gratification culture. And what people are yearning for, um, even though things are still happening faster, it still comes down to the human touch. And that's what's missing, and that's what I'm really excited about in researching and delving into is the impact the human touch makes to improve how we reach and make a difference in the lives of our customers because that's what it's all about. They're buying something based on what it is they need and that our job is to understand that and be clear and articulate it and help those that we know uh, have a need, help them recognize how we can help them and it comes down to clarity. So I, I'm really excited about uh, 2008 because I think 2008 and ongoing is all going to be about the human touch. Well, uh, Brian, let me let me just, you know, it's so exciting. To, uh, guys, I'm supposed to be on the line, I mean, uh, that are still with us. Most of you are still here. I, I, I Sometimes I feel like I'm in the uh, – you sometimes feel alone when you think these things, but you just – you just know that it's right. I mean, it's one of the reasons we began testing, because we needed honest data. Uh, and so when I hear all these comments from you, I find it so encouraging. I want to read some of these to you. Uh, uh, here's some of the things I'm hearing. I'm just going to read them in order as they're coming through. Uh, there's lots of thanks and amen and, and, and woo and absolutely makes sense. And uh, you're bang on and... Uh, breath of fresh air and this makes tons of sense and as a 26 year old it's refreshing it's idealistic blankety blank awesome from somebody else uh god see i love it total sense I, I could go down all these nice things almost all of it maybe all of it's positive but somebody says this somebody says you i'm convinced but how do i convince my executive that's what marketing experiments has got to do this year with honest data we got to arm you i mean that's what the point of these briefings are you should be able to repackage this stuff, not just know it yourself, but take the chart. Because I don't, I don't want to be another marketing group that just has an opinion. There's a lot of opinions, but let's test. I mean, if you took everything I said and and broke it down to like four words, if we had honest data and honest claims, we'd all be better for it. So let's get honest data. Let's back up what we're saying and let's spread the word. And then let's let the people that are trusting us with their money let's 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 earn it. And 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 some of us just need to refuse to do this stuff that we know is wrong. And because it's because because uh, it's wrong. So I, I want to stop with that. But but you know you probably have a sense of where the whole group's going in 2008. We're going to test optimization. In my experience, we have one goal, and we want to. We want to optimize communication, and we believe you optimize communication by getting the values right, and that's what we're talking about in, in these things. So let's get the values right, and let's get honest data, and then let's make honest claims, and let's make sure that we're, we're, we're communicating this to the people we're training because many of you on this phone are very influential, and together we can, we, we can start to change this. And uh, 
I find that all exciting. So um, stay tuned. We'll be back in two weeks with more data that we hope will help you. I will publish this in the briefing coming up. I'm going to ask you one question before I go. Would you like me to send you just in a separate email the the creed, the this the protest and these 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 thoughts in this last couple of slides? If you would like me to send those to you, because the the briefing won't be out for a couple of weeks. But if you'd like me to send the just that in an email body only to the people that were on this call, uh, I'll send it out to you. Um, or a link to it or something like that. Just let me know right now. I'm listening. I'll, I'll watch, and if I have enough people respond, we'll 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 send it to you. And uh, I welcome your thoughts and comments. I'm grateful for your trust, and we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you again. Take care, everyone.